This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, March 30th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor and chief film critic, Chris Mangalista. Hello. Chris, how's it going? What are you up to these days? All right. Uh, no, I have a cold, so if my voice sounds weird to those out there in, po- in uh, podcast land, that's why I have okay. a cold. <laughs> well, best wishes. Feel better. Um, I, I just got back from a, a quick trip to Los Angeles. I went out there for uh, an old friend's wedding, and I had a chance to visit the Academy Museum, which was really, really cool. Um, have you seen or read or, or uh, seen any videos or anything like that from, from this uh place chris i've yeah i've seen some photos and uh, i hope one day i get to go yeah it's very fun it's um it's like huge it's like a four-story build or maybe five stories even uh building um right there out in in sort of the the heartland of uh of los angeles and um they have this really cool casablanca exhibit up right now with like the uh the old pianos like the play at sam uh pianos and stuff and there was a um like a uh, version of the script called every everybody comes to ricks that was like a very very early version that sort of was then adapted into what we know as casablanca and there's like that actual script is just like hanging out on the wall and um there's a big godfather exhibit up right now that has like the horse head in in like a uh you know like a glass case where you can walk up and see it and um you know the the some of the musical instruments that they used for the scores and the um the sheet music for the main title for the score and uh, a recreation of um the godfather's desk from the the first movie um and like that whole room um that's roped off you can't like go take a selfie sitting in the in the chair or anything um but yeah, just like so much incredible, cool, like movie history stuff. And there's some more modern stuff too. There's like um, C-3PO and and some costumes from, you know, Black Panther and like the Shape of Water uh, creature was was there. And um, there's some really cool stuff that you would have loved, Chris. The, uh, the backdrop, like matte painting stuff from Batman Returns 
the the Tim Burton movie was uh, there were several examples of like the Batcave and like um, the cityscape and you know Gotham and and all that stuff and and you could see like little parts of it where uh, the filmmakers would just essentially cut out everything else and like uh, or cut out a small hole and have the entire uh, shoot the entire um, sequence where you can only see this tiny part in live action and everything else is this giant matte painting it's all like you know, gorgeously done, of course. Um, Bruce the shark from from Jaws is like hanging out there. So anyway, really great stuff. If you ever, ever have a chance to uh, to visit LA, I would definitely add it to your list of things to see. There's so much cool stuff there. Um, okay, uh, I, let's get into what we've been watching, Chris. What have you been checking out recently? Uh, I am all caught up on Succession. Um, I, I actually never watched this show before and once they announced it was ending i was like well all right i better finally get around to watching it <laughs> and uh i really i love it now it's 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 just as good as everyone says it is uh i had, i actually had tried it when it when it first came out i watched the first episode and i was like this is not for me but obviously since then everyone has been talking about how great it is so i i gave it a chance and yeah i i i love it uh and um well, I'll be sad to see it go. I am glad it's like going out on top. Like it, it didn't wait. The show didn't wait until it, to get it got bad until it ended. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how it all wraps up. I've seen the first four episodes of this new season, but that's it so far. So I, I don't know how it ends or anything like that. I had the exact same experience as you, Chris. Like everybody has been talking about the show for so many years and I just like missed it when it first started. And my wife and I just started watching it. We watched the the pilot episode on our flight back to Florida, actually. So I've only seen the pilot and that's it. But we're going to try to, you know, essentially burn through the entire series in time to catch the finale because I feel like it's going to be one of those shows that like everybody is talking about, you know, how it wraps up and like, I've been able to avoid spoilers and stuff for the show because I didn't know any of the character names and like was able to just sort of, you know, duck, dive, dip, dive, dodge and whatever the hell yeah. that phrase is from dodgeball, um, you know, maneuver my way around. But uh, but I feel like the finale of Succession is going to be like something is going to happen that people are going to ruin for me, essentially. So um, I yeah wanted to, uh, to take this opportunity to catch up. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that you love it because. Uh, I watched the pilot and was very impressed with that. And um, I'm looking forward to spending time with what is clearly a group of um, deranged, horrible people. So yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what else have you been watching recently? Uh, I've just finished the first season of shrinking, which is the Apple TV plus series with uh, Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford. And uh, I really like this. It's not like a fantastic show. I don't think it's like a great show, but it's, it's, charming enough and Harrison Ford is really good on this show he's very funny uh you know he, he's playing you know a grumpy guy which obviously comes natural to him but he's also really really funny on the show like he's doing some of his best work in years on wow. this show yeah so if, if you're a Harrison Ford fan and want to see him uh play a, a very funny very grumpy uh psychiatrist this is the show for you uh yeah, man. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I remember hearing when the show first debuted, I think there was like two or three episodes in and there was a slight conversation around it at that time that was like, is Harrison Ford like just phoning this in? But to hear you say he's doing some of his best work in years, that actually makes me want to watch the show. Whereas some of that earlier conversation made me be like, oh, I can push this down further down my my pile of things to see. Yeah, I don't think he's phoning it at all. I think he's he's doing really great work here. So yeah, I'm, I, I would recommend shrinking. 
Okay. What do you think about Jason Siegel in the show? Are you like a big Jason Siegel guy? What's your history with him? I'm not like a huge fan of him, but I do like him and he's good in the show. He's really good at playing like sad, <laughs> sad guys who are also funny. And that's pretty much what he has to do here. And he's, he's doing a really good job of it. Uh, I never watched um, How I Met Your Mother, so I don't know. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I watched like the f- first few episodes and the laugh track was so distracting. <laughs> I was like, I can't watch this show anymore. That's the it, most Chris reason to not watch a show. Because <laughs> it was clearly like a fake laugh. It was not like, there's there's no audience there. It was clearly like, <laughs> like, like they were pumping it in and it was just really, really distracting. So I, I did no interest in finishing it. But, you know, I, I love his Muppets movie, so there's yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, what else have you been watching? Something, uh, I guess, a little bit more violent than Shrinking? Yes, I, I of course, watched uh, John Wick Chapter 4, which is out now. And uh, there's not much else to say about that movie other than, you know, it, it really is as good as everyone's saying. It's very long. You know, it's it's almost a full three hours. Uh, but it kind of earns that, that time because it's a very epic, uh, you know, big big movie and i was just really impressed with uh just how how this franchise has shaped out because when you watch that first movie it doesn't you don't like think like oh this is going to become an action franchise you know and it's pretty much well known by this time that that first movie was for almost up until release was being considered as like a direct-to-video action movie and at the time keanu reeves was not sort of like Obviously, he was a star, but his star was like on the, the the decline a little bit. So it was sort of like almost like a joke, like, oh, a new Keanu Reeves movie called John Wick. What a dumb name. And then that movie turned out to be really good. And it just the, the series just got better and better from there as they built up this mythology and, and, you know, this world building. And this movie feels like the culmination of everything that's happened. And uh, yeah, I, I really dug John Wick Chapter 4. Man, yeah, I'm excited. I, I've not had a chance to see this because I was out of town, but I think I'm going to try to go see it tonight. Um, yeah, it's it's really fascinating to think about like where Keanu's um, career was at that time because I think he was coming off like the one-two punch of Man of Tai Chi, which he directed and appeared in briefly, if I recall correctly, but that was not like a huge hit. It was kind of like a you know his attempt to bring um, the martial arts movie into I guess more to like mainstream American audiences or whatever. And then 47 Ronin, which was just this gigantic bomb that was, you know, almost like, um, you know, one of those like uh, era defining failures, really. Like I want to say that the director was removed from the editing room on that movie. There was all sorts of like behind the scenes trouble and it was supposed to be like this big thing and ended up just sort of falling on its face. And then like, yeah, the next year John Wick comes out and, and completely like turns Keanu's career around because he hadn't been anything really great for for a little while up until that point yeah it's almost like what happened with tom cruise and uh the mission impossible series because there was a period after after war of the worlds came out where i wouldn't say tom cruise was like declining because he's a megastar but after war of the worlds came out he had his whole like oprah jumping on the couch moment and Mm -hmm. that's sort of that's sort of like i don't want to say killed his career but it definitely sidetracked his career and then the mission impossible movie started getting bigger and he started doing all these these death defying stunts and now he's like you know uh, people think he saved the movies basically because of uh top gun and all this so they, it's kind of interesting that these those two actors had this sort of 
decline after their you know their quote unquote glory days, and now they're 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 like as beloved as ever. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right, Chris, I have three things that I wanted to mention. Um, I'll talk about Halloween Ends first. I finally got a chance to watch this movie. I was waiting for the longest time. This was available on Peacock, and I don't have Peacock. I only, I mean, this sounds super obnoxious, but I have like access to some screener stuff um, through Peacock. So like I've watched all of Poker Face, for example. But uh, if if I miss the screener window for something, I just like can't bring myself to pay for Peacock because I don't really, you know, the, the library there is not um, deep enough yet for me to, for me to justify adding another streaming service to my list of things. So Halloween ends was on Peacock forever. It seemed like, and then it finally got added to um, Amazon prime video recently. And I finally just sat down and watched this thing totally. Wow. Like I I missed all the conversation about this movie when it happened because I I knew that I was going to see it eventually. Um, I did not particularly care for Halloween kills very much. I thought that the the mob mentality kind of idea was interesting on paper, but just kind of kind of dragged out a little bit too long and and was like very obvious and kind of hitting you over the head with that that singular idea throughout that entire movie. So I was a little wary going into this, and it's not what I expected at all for you know the the conclusion of this um this new modern day Halloween trilogy. But I kind of dug it. It's like it's a really strange movie, and it, and it introduces this um, this character named Corey, who is like uh, it, it. It kind of does what I okay. Let me back up. I, I think the um, second movie, the sort of social commentary aspect that that film was trying to make, was made so heavy handedly that I kind of rolled my eyes at it. But I think the social commentary in Halloween Ends, which is you know commenting on a different. Uh, portion of society but kind of like a, a or a different aspect but kind of in the same ballpark which is like this idea of like how far can one person be pushed and like can someone who is inherently good uh be corrupted by evil but you know and 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 um essentially like um can, can the surroundings of a person contribute to uh, the evil that they are, are driven to almost. And I thought that stuff was explored really, really well in this Corey character who has, as far as I know, has never been seen in the franchise before. And uh, it's a really bold swing to essentially hijack the, um, the conclusion that everybody's expecting from this trilogy and like sort of sneak your own sub story into that. And then just kind of barely have a uh, Laurie Strode, Michael Myers, um, confrontation kind of at the end of the movie and and like call it a day after that so uh i I remember chris that you liked this movie i don't remember much about the conversation around this film when it came out but i remember you being a defender of it um how how has it sat sort of in your mind since it came out yeah you know i kind of love this movie i love that it takes these swings i love that it's almost doing like a covid uh analogy without actually being about covid because it's almost like like evil as an infectious disease. And, mm, mm-hmm. and it's also about how as righteous as the townsfolk of Haddonfield think they are, they're still just 
assholes who give into mob mentality. And like you said, they, they cover that in the, in Halloween kills, but it's done really poorly in Halloween kills. And I feel like, uh, you know, spoiler alert for the ending here, the way they, they have the ending where the entire town comes together to just get rid of Michael Myers. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's like, yeah, you know, Michael Myers is this representation of evil, but it's, you know, it's still wrong to have an entire town straight up murder a guy. So it's like, yeah, I kind of just love that. And I love a lot of people did not like this movie. A lot of people were like, what the hell is this Corey character doing here? But I kind of love that the, the series filters itself through this character now. And he's like this representation of sort of like incel rage almost in a little bit where he, you know, he wants to be a good guy, but he's so uh like unwell and he's so pushed mm-hmm. by I also love that he's he's bullied a lot and the people who are bullying him are like the marching band <laughs> yes. at school which is like such a, a very funny uh like David Gordon Green slash Danny McBride detail that where like the bullies in the movie are the school marching band yeah normally like <laughs> dorks but I, I you know so <laughs> I get why people didn't like this because it's such a, a big swing but that's really what I appreciate about it like I, I don't think I'll ever really revisit Halloween Kills, but I know when, when Halloween season rolls around, I'm definitely going to rewatch this because I, I liked it so much. Yeah, it has like this really interesting um, thing with Michael Myers where like, you know much more about this franchise than I do, um, but it, it seems like he's almost like Michael Myers is living in a sewer. <laughs> it seems like he's, he's built this underground layer. It's unclear exactly how long he's been down there, but uh, I think at least like a couple years or something. And he's just kind of hanging out in the sewer. And then he meets this Corey character. And it's almost as if he like transfers his, his evil, his essence or something into yeah. this Corey character who then goes around and, and starts becoming a murderer after like, what a banger of an opening sequence with the kid and the stairs and all that. I don't want to give anything more away than that in case you haven't seen the movie, but uh, man, what a a fantastic way to open this movie. Um, And then, yeah, I just thought it was like really interesting that Michael Myers is like, you know, the, the anticipation, the, the expectation from audiences was that he, you know, this is going to be the, uh, the culminating battle basically between him and Laurie Strode. And that happens, but it's so much more of an afterthought. And, um, I don't know. I guess if maybe if this was a franchise that um, that I was like super heavily invested in and had sort of like, you know, built my entire identity around like a lot of uh, folks in the horror community, I can I can certainly understand why people would be uh, miffed at this movie, because it just doesn't really it's not super interested in giving people you know, what they, what they want or like what they expected. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if this is going to be one of those ones like, uh, like Halloween three, which has been reclaimed in the past, whatever, 10 years or something. Right. Um, if, if that's going to be the, the future for this movie too, like give it some time and then people will come around to it and be like, Oh, this one actually was good. And, and maybe even some of the same people who were, who were mad at it originally, um, will kind of come around to it. So I don't know. Do, do you have any, um, any predictions about how this is going to go based on, you know, uh, your, your um, experiences in the horror community and, and sort of seeing some of this stuff play out. Yeah. I could absolutely see this being reappraised in a, in a few years and people catching. Cause like, again, I feel like everyone was expecting, like you said, this, this big final showdown between Laurie Sturden and Michael Myers. And you, you get that, but it's also like, if you want a movie where Michael Myers fights Laurie Strode, there are a bunch of movies yeah. like that already. You can just get, you can watch the original Halloween. You can watch Halloween two. You can watch the 2018 Halloween. And this is something different. And 
like, you know, like you said, Halloween three, when that came out, everyone was like, where the hell is Michael Myers? What is this? And over time, people realize that like, you know, once you get past that initial shock, there's a really interesting, neat little horror movie here. And I, I really do think and hope that in a few years, people come around to Halloween ends and realize that like, oh, we were we were too hard on this movie. It's actually a lot better than we gave it credit for. Yeah. Um, okay, so I also had a chance to watch Barry Lyndon for the first time. This movie is streaming Ooh. on HBO Max right now. And uh, I I didn't really know anything about this. I thought it was going to be like a war movie, basically. And there definitely is um, a, a war component to this. Like, th- it takes place during the Seven Years War, which I don't know about you, Chris, but like my, uh, my public school education kind of failed me on like, um, you know, uh, creating a lasting impression of the details of the seven years war. So I kind of had to go into Wikipedia and like, look, okay, okay what, what are the, uh, who are the players in this? What exactly was the source of this conflict? What was going on? But um, yeah, it was, uh, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. I, I, it's not nearly as much of a pure war movie as I thought it was going to be. And evidently like there's a story that Kubrick was going to direct this Napoleon movie for a long time. And like, he kind of rolled some of that research into the making of this, but um, what do you, what do you, what are your uh, Barry Lyndon um, thoughts, Chris? Any? Barry Lyndon is phenomenal. Barry Lyndon is actually my favorite Kubrick movie. I wow. love, I love Barry Lyndon. It's such a gorgeous movie about a guy who's a complete asshole. Yes. <laughs> it's, just, yes. it's just this beautifully made like work of art about this total asshole who just like fails upward yes. into like high society. And he's just a complete piece of shit. <laughs> and he doesn't really learn anything. He's just like a complete jerk. And I, it's just like, uh, you know, every frame of this movie is just a gore. And, and uh, Kubrick did this thing where, first of all, he did this thing where all the light in the movie is natural. So it's done like via sunlight and candles and mm-hmm. there's no like artificial lighting. And the other thing he did is he stages these like tableaus where like, it almost looks like you're looking at a painting and then people start moving. And I just, I, I, I love this movie. It's so good. I'm probably going to rewatch it soon just because we're talking about it now. Yeah, man. It, it's incredible. It's, it's so beautiful to look at and, um, and super funny too. Like I, I wasn't expecting it to be as funny as it is, but Ryan O'Neill starring as this, yeah, like you said, just complete shit heel character. And um, yeah, just like basically being a fail son and kind of working his way up the societal ladder is incredibly entertaining to watch. It's it's it does it does not feel like homework in the slightest. And it is um it's another long movie, but uh man, I was just like completely riveted all the way through. There's like some uh, a couple dual sequences that are, I mean, just so um transfixing and and very funny, especially the the final one. Um, and there's, you know, it, it gets into some of the stuff that that um, I feel like Kubrick has has tapped into before some of the, the thematic uh, elements that he likes to explore. But like, also there's there's this idea of like, um, you know, just the absolute idiocy of war and like these these uh, people walking, you know, in in um, super fine clothes and everything, just walking along in a straight line on a battlefield, just walking into gunfire and like, you know, banging a drum and just like people getting mowed down on either side of you. And you're just like slowly moving down this, you know, across this field or whatever. Just the, the way that he um, depicts some of that is, uh, is so, um, you know, it just makes the whole thing look, look so ridiculous. So uh, yeah, I, I found myself really, really loving this. I thought uh, Melissa, or I'm sorry, Marissa Berenson, um, who evidently was just like 
I guess, a model before this and hasn't hadn't really done much um, by, by way of acting before uh, was really great. She pops up in like the back half of the movie um, as uh, Lady Linden, that is uh, Ryan O'Neill's character's wife. And um, I, I thought she did really great work, especially for not being like a, a super, I don't know what we would call a trained actress or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, man, yeah, so funny. I, I was just like, yeah, really blown away by this movie. I think it's it's certainly up there. I mean, it's tough with with Kubrick movies because there are so many that are like, I saw 2001 in the theater for the first time a few years ago. And, like my mind was completely blown at like how um, influential that was on basically every single space movie that came after that. And it was just yeah. kind of this incredible experience. So, the, and then like The Shining sort of lives in this, um, in this bubble all its own. So it's almost like impossible to compare Kubrick movies to, to you know like elevate one over the other because they do different things and they're so like um impactful in their individual genres or whatever but uh but yeah just like a a personal uh level um and and maybe like yeah slowly climbing up my personal favorite ranks of his um this one's pretty up there so uh, if you've not seen it we we obviously recommend checking it out it's on hbo max right now and then I watched, uh, actually just this morning before signing on to work, I watched uh, Midnight Cowboy for the first time. Have you ever seen this? I saw it a long time ago, and I mostly just know it from like the iconic scenes, like when Dustin Hoffman does, I'm walking here, and he hits mm-hmm. the cab. And it's also back before John Voight was insane. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think John Voight and Dustin Hoffman both have some, uh, I don't know, let's call it like off-screen difficulties or something. Yeah. If you want to, you know, they're not necessarily like people that I would want to hang out with or, or um, you know, say are, are good men in any way. Yeah. Um, but they both are very young in this movie, which came out in 1969. Uh, this is like the youngest I've ever seen John Voight. Oh, and one of the, the other things they had at the Academy Museum was there was a room uh, dedicated to casting and they had a... Um, a video going in the background sort of on a loop. And it was like early um, casting foot or uh, audition footage of a bunch of different people that hadn't like McConaughey from um, days and confused, which I think people have probably seen that clip of him, like fake driving the car and stuff before. Uh, but they also had a, a clip from John Voight for midnight cowboy. And, and so it was cool that, you know, I got to watch a movie like very close after um, or very soon after seeing that footage. Um, but yeah, he's like so young and they're, they're so, both of them are so, so good in this movie, despite my you know, qualms with them as, as human beings or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't even know this movie won best picture at the, the Oscars and whatever that was 1970, I guess, early 1970. Um, but this is like one of the, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's a subgenre that, that you can think of Chris where like other movies would be in this included in this, but it's like one of those um, go to the city and the city kicks your ass movies. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the idea of like, you know, this guy uh, who's played by um, John Voight is like dressed up as this cowboy. I think he's coming from you know Texas or whatever. And he uh, just goes to New York city because he basically wants to become like a, a sex worker. And he just thinks that like women are going to be throwing themselves at him and he's just going to get all this action and become rich and famous or whatever. And he just arrives in the city and like, nobody gives a shit about him the yeah. whole time. And like, you know, he meets uh, Rizzo played by Dustin Hoffman, who is like, basically uh, he, he's like injured. I think it's, his, uh, he had some sort of um, leg injury or something. And like his whole life is just, living out of a trash can basically like these guys just live in this abandoned condemned apartment where there's no heat and no air and uh they're just kind of barely scraping by they're like 
doing whatever they can to make, you know, $3 so they can buy the next day's coffee or whatever. And it is just so far, the, the gulf between his vision of what he wanted to do in New York City when he got there and then what actually happens is just like, you know, the size of the Grand Canyon. It's it's incredible. So um, I, I liked this movie for the the bleakness of it almost. Like the idea that like, Hey, just because you think you're, you know, hot shit, like the, yeah. the world doesn't necessarily care about you uh, in the way that you might think it does. So um, it, it's a bit of a, I don't know what, it's not necessarily like a, a super tough watch or anything, but it's just like, it's not a happy-go-lucky kind of movie in any way. Um, and I didn't really know much about it except for the, hey, I'm walking here thing either. Um, so yeah, I was, I was surprised and pleasantly surprised by like how much I enjoyed those two lead performances and, and just like the um, sort of like pull no punches uh, approach of this movie, which was directed by uh, John Schlesinger, who also directed, um, let's see, what else? He, he directed uh, a couple really famous movies, right? Uh, Marathon Man, that was the one I was thinking of. And um, Pacific Heights. Did you ever see Pacific Heights, Chris? You know, I movie? did, the, the Michael Keaton movie, where yeah. Michael Keaton is a, a, a villain, which is so rare. And yeah, like, yeah. It's a cool he, movie. Yeah, he's like a... Um, a tenant, I think, who, who yeah, moves yeah. into a, a these renters' houses and or a apartment or whatever, and like basically just becomes like the tenant from hell. So yeah, he like destroys a... their like <laughs> posh San Francisco house for no yeah. reason. He's just doing it because he's a, a piece of shit. Yeah, <laughs> and that's one of the great movie houses that the Pacific yeah. Heights house. So if you haven't seen that movie, I'd recommend checking that out too. So uh, Midnight Cowboy, where is that streaming right now? Uh, let me see. Let me look this up in real time. I am vamping Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> Sorry, I should have pulled this up beforehand and it is currently streaming on paramount plus or tubi uh wow. evidently it's also on direct tv if you have that so um and you can rent it at amazon and whatever youtube apple for like four dollars if you want to check that out so yes that will do it uh any closing midnight cowboy thoughts chris uh, I'm, I'm inspired. I'm going to go to New York and become a, a sex worker now. <laughs> I learned nothing from what you just said. I just heard you can make money, go to the city and become a stud. Big city, baby. All yeah. right. I'm going to meet up with, with Rizzo and we're going to live out of a trash can. It's going to be great. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, uh, that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. You can find more about a lot of the stuff, the stuff that we've mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, uh, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.